Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we covered the topic of colonic polyps found under the gastrointestinal section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 60-year-old healthy man undergoes a screening colonoscopy. He has been staying active, does not smoke, denies any bloody or dark stools, changes in stools, abdominal pain, or fatigue. His prior colonoscopy was normal. During today's colonoscopy, his gastroenterologist notes a small pedunculated growth in the descending colon. Let's continue with an introduction to colonic polyps. As a general overview, remember that this refers to abnormal growth of tissue from the colonic mucosa. Remember that most are benign, but some can progress to cancer, and treatment is typically resection. This can be a part of a polyposis syndrome, which may include familial adenomatous polyposis, juvenile polyposis syndrome, Peutz-Jäger syndrome, and Gardner syndrome. In terms of the genetics, typical genetic mutations may include the APC gene, KRAS gene, T53 gene, and BRAF proteins. There may also be microsatellite instability or a mismatch repair. In terms of the incidence, remember that this is highly prevalent and may be seen in 30 to 50% of adults. 90% will occur after 50 years of age. They can be hyperplastic and benign or adenomatous with malignant transformation. Remember that up to 90% are hyperplastic polyps, and they are most commonly seen in the sigmoid and rectum. Risk factors include smoking, obesity, a high-fat diet, and red meat. In terms of the pathogenesis, a hyperplastic polyp is a non-dysplastic proliferation of the colonic epithelium. An adenomatous polyp is a growth and malignant transformation with genetic mutations. It can be tubular, tubulovillus, villus, or sessile serrated. Remember that the villus has the greatest malignant potential. Moving on to the presentation, most patients will be asymptomatic. However, common symptoms may include rectal bleeding and change in stool caliber. On exam, one can perform a provocative test such as a digital rectal exam. This may demonstrate occult blood and it may be palpated if the polyp is distal. In terms of further imaging, a lower gastrointestinal radiographic series may detect larger polyps. One may also perform a virtual colonoscopy with computed tomography scan. This has limited use outside of research, however, but it may detect larger polyps, and it does have a poor sensitivity. In terms of further studies, serum labs may include tumor markers such as CEA, CA199, and remember that these are associated but not used for screening or diagnosis. Invasive studies may include a stool occult blood test. This is neither sensitive nor specific. Another study is an endoscopic evaluation. Remember that colonoscopy is the best evaluation. Alternatives may include flexible sigmoidoscopy or a pill capsule endoscopy. Remember to obtain a biopsy for pathological evaluation. In terms of the histology, an H&E stain of the endoscopic biopsy samples is diagnostic. This will help to determine the type of polyp, its size, and the degree of dysplasia. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about inflammatory bowel disease, with key distinguishing factors being that there may be a pseudopolyp from the scarring process in response to inflammation. Also think about familial adenomatous polyposis. 
with key distinguishing factors being that there will be many polyps, and this will present at a younger age. Also consider Peutz-Jäger syndrome. Key distinguishing factors here are that this will present with hamartomatous polyps and mucocutaneous hyperpigmentation. With regards to treatment, surgical options include endoscopic polypectomy. This is indicated for all visualized polyps. Another option is colectomy. This is indicated for endoscopically unresectable polyps, for multiple large adenomas, for high-grade dysplasia, for invasive adenocarcinoma, and for severe gastrointestinal bleeding. Complications related to colonic polyps may include gastrointestinal bleeding, as well as adenocarcinoma of the colon. Risk factors for this are if it goes undetected for a long time. Treatment for adenocarcinoma of the colon will depend on the stage. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, remember that in terms of the natural history, the malignant progression of adenomatous polyps can take years, and there is a good prognosis with polypectomy. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to colonic polyps, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 55-year-old man presents to the physician with the complaint of malaise, fatigue, unintentional weight loss, and two episodes of gross red blood in his stool. He has a family history of colorectal cancer and was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis at the age of 17. He is referred to a gastroenterologist for a colonoscopy and is found to have a colonic polyp that is excised and collected as a tissue specimen. The pathologist identifies the specimen as a neoplastic polyp with the greatest malignant potential. What type of neoplastic polyp does the patient have? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Hyperplastic polyp Choice 2. Inflammatory polyp Choice 3. Tubular adenoma Choice 4. Tubulovillus adenoma Or Choice 5. Villus adenoma The best answer to this question is Choice 5. Villus adenoma. The neoplastic polyp identified in this patient with a presentation that is highly suspicious for colon cancer given the hematochesia and systemic symptoms of malaise, fatigue, and weight loss is a villus adenoma, which has the greatest malignant potential of the neoplastic polyps. Polyps are classified by their gross appearance on colonoscopy. This may include pedunculated, sessile, flat, and depressed, and by their histological classification. Histologically, there are three types of neoplastic polyps or adenomas, tubular adenomas, tubulovillus adenomas, and villus adenomas. Of these three, villus adenomas have the highest malignant potential, tubulovillus adenomas have intermediate malignant potential, and tubular adenomas have the lowest malignant potential. Villus adenomas typically are large and sessile and can have a velvety appearance or cauliflower-like projections. By definition, villus adenomas contain 75% or more long glands with villi-like projections extending from the surface, contributing to a large surface area. They may cause rectal bleeding and partial intestinal obstruction. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. A hyperplastic polyp is a benign or non-neoplastic polyp, also known as a hamartoma, 
that does not predispose to malignancy. A hyperplastic polyp is the most common type of polyp found in adults, and they have a sawtooth or serrated appearance. Choice 2. An inflammatory polyp is a benign or non-neoplastic polyp that does not predispose to malignancy. Inflammatory polyps may be seen in patients with ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease of the colon. While the polyps themselves are not predisposing, patients with inflammatory bowel disease of the colon have an increased overall risk of colon cancer. Choice 3. A tubular adenoma is a neoplastic polyp that is usually pedunculated and often smaller than tubulovillus or villus adenomas. Tubular adenomas have lower malignant potential than villus adenomas. Choice 4. A tubulovillus adenoma is a neoplastic polyp that is usually pedunculated and contains a mix of tubular and villus features. Tubulovillus adenomas have lower malignant potential than villus adenomas. Finally, a bullet summary. Villus adenomas have the greatest malignant potential among the neoplastic polyps, followed by tubulovillus adenomas, then tubular adenomas. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 41-year-old man presents to his primary care provider after seeing bright red blood in the toilet bowl after his last two bowel movements. He reports that he also noticed some blood mixed with his stool. The patient denies abdominal pain or any changes in his stool habits. He notes a weight loss of 8 pounds in the last two months, with no changes in his diet or exercise habits. His medical history is significant for an episode of pancreatitis two years ago, for which he was hospitalized for several days. He drinks two to three beers on the weekend, and he has never smoked. He has no family history of colon cancer. His temperature is 97.6 degrees Fahrenheit, or 36.4 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 135 over 78. Pulse is 88 beats per minute. And respirations are 14 breaths per minute. On physical exam, his abdomen is soft and non-tender to palpation. Bowel sounds are present, and there is no hepatomegaly. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? And the answer choices are... Choice 1. Abdominal CT. Choice 2. Anoscopy. Choice 3. Barium enema. Choice 4. Colonoscopy. Or choice 5. Ultrasound of the abdomen. The best answer to this question is choice 4. Colonoscopy. This patient presents with hematochesia and weight loss, which raises concern for colorectal cancer. The most appropriate next step in management is performing a colonoscopy. The differential diagnosis of hematochesia includes colorectal cancer, inflammatory bowel disease, diverticulosis, and hemorrhoids. The evaluation depends in large part on the age of the patient and whether the patient presents with alarm symptoms such as weight loss, abdominal pain, change in bowel habits, or iron deficiency anemia. If the patient is over the age of 50, has alarm symptoms, or has a family history of colorectal cancer, the evaluation should begin with a colonoscopy to rule out malignancy. If the patient is between the ages of 40 and 50 and without other red flags, the patient can elect to undergo sigmoidoscopy as a less invasive procedure than colonoscopy. If the patient is under the age of 40 and without alarm symptoms, the workup may begin with an endoscopy to first evaluate for hemorrhoids. Once cancer has been ruled out, 
additional evaluation for chronic inflammatory diseases such as ulcerative colitis can be conducted. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Abdominal CT might be used to evaluate for metastases if the diagnosis of colorectal cancer is confirmed, but it would not be used to diagnose the primary malignancy. A CT scan would be the most appropriate initial step in diagnosis if diffuse metastasis were already suspected, such as a presentation of severe weight loss and an enlarged, palpable, and nodular liver. Choice 2. Anoscopy is used for the evaluation of hemorrhoids in a patient less than 40 years of age who presents with bright red blood per rectum in the absence of alarm symptoms. It would not be the most appropriate next step for a patient who presents with unexplained weight loss as it cannot be used to diagnose colorectal cancer. Choice 3. Barium enema is sometimes used to screen for colorectal cancer in conjunction with other tests in asymptomatic patients, but it would not be used to diagnose malignancy in a patient with alarm symptoms such as hematochesia and unexpected weight loss. Choice 5. Ultrasound of the abdomen would be effective in diagnosing conditions such as intraperitoneal bleeding and cholecystitis. There is no evidence of abdominal trauma that would suggest intraperitoneal bleeding in this patient. A positive ultrasound with free fluid would be treated with diagnostic laparoscopy. Finally, a bullet summary. If a patient is over the age of 50 or has alarm symptoms of weight loss, abdominal pain, change in bowel habits, or iron deficiency anemia, the patient should undergo a colonoscopy to rule out colorectal cancer. That's all for this review about colonic polyps. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.